part three of Where the Road Takes Me, and this Sunday evening I'm a few miles west of the town of Castletown Bear on the Bear Peninsula. I'm in the townland of Gower, and I'm speaking to Vincey Harrington, known affectionately and for identification purposes as Vincey Gower. Well, Vincey's parents were married on Saturday, September 4th, 1932. It was the day before Bear won the first of three in a row county senior football titles. The wedding reception was held in Shea's pub, the square, Mrs. Murchie, over the square. That time there was no hotels there, like there's now. And they were inside dancing, inside after the wedding. And then Mick came in with the Bearer team. And he said to my father, you have to buy him no drink. They're playing clan tomorrow in the county final to the three in a row. And they were inside. And they came out here and they were at, it was the Battle of Porter home with him. That was the goal at him. And they were dancing here until, and it was all sidecars and traps that was in the wedding. But don't know who said a couple of cars. They had many, they had a couple of cars. And Dan Sheehan was one of the drivers, he was at the Queen, he was a young man. And he drove my father and mother in one of Dunhu's cars down to the station in Bantry. They went to Cork on their honeymoon. And Bairam won the three in a row, but Dan Sheehan often told me, he said, I was driving his father's wedding, he said, he said it was the only car that was in the wedding, the rest was horses, the sidecars and, and traps. There was, no, there was no cars, and there was only a few cars in town, 1932. And he said, Dunhu's could get no drivers, Pat Dunhu. He was only 35 years of age. He could get no drivers. And he went down below the church gate. There was a cobbler there. There was Mikey Crowley. There was a, there was a couple of shoemakers there. He went down there and Timmy Sullivan was there. And he was after serving his time. He was a harness maker. And he said he was thinking of going to England the following day. And Pat who said, he said, would you like to learn to drive? I never drove, he said. I was never inside the car, he said. He took him up to the square and he took a few rounds of the square in Dunhu's car. And Pat Dunhoe was quite satisfied with what he saw. And the next time he took him out, he took him out to Dunbuy Castle. And he wound up, he was driving for Dunhoe's for 40 years. Tim, we call him Timmy Doggy, Timmy... Timmy the Bus. Timmy the Bus. Timmy the Bus. Yeah. yeah. He was driving Dunhoe's for over 40 years. But he was ready to go to England. And uh, Pat Dunhoe, he died suddenly. He was buried on his 35th birthday. He was born in 1900. And he was only 35 years. He was buried up the North Road. And the wife, she was from Bear End, Katie Dunhoe. She took over the business. And then, during Vincey's last few days before emigrating to England and while working for Cork County Council, there was that epic journey to the Marsh Road in Skibbereen to collect the stone crusher. We left here in the morning at 7 o'clock and my father had just got a car, 56, and we left the car at the quarry in Camorden, where it is now, the factory is there now, and we left the car there and we went down to Bantry and Dunhu's bus. And we got a lift over to the Marsh Road in Skibbereen where all the factories are now, the council yard was there, and they were welding the screens in the, in the, to the crusher. They were welding the screens, they hadn't it finished, and we didn't get it. We didn't get away from there till late in the evening. And we came to Mantry, and it was late in the year. It got dark about five or six o'clock. We had no lights, we couldn't go any farther than Bantry. So we pulled up in front of the cinema in Bantry, parked up the tractor, pulling the crusher. She was eight ton weight, and it was a swinging tow bar, there was no weight in the tractor. We left it there. And we came home on the bus again that night. Up into the car at Camorden Quarry. Came home here. Went east next morning again, 7 o'clock. Bear Heaven bus came along. We went down to Bantry and again, the same thing again. And we went down. The crusher had gone down through the square. It was iron wheels. It went down through the tarmac. And the axles were rested. And we went up. Paddy Sullivan, he worked in a garage. in Biggs' garage. He was an nephew of Mrs. Peter Murphy in Dutton's home. He served his time in Peter's garage in town. He gave us a big trolley jack. And we jacked it up. And we put blocks underneath it. And I was walking after it. It was a field marshal tractor. It was an old-fashioned thing. And every hill, you'd have to stop to change gear. Even coming up Drini. And I had a block of wood under my arm. 
And every time I stopped, I put the block of wood behind the iron wheel. And my father changed down to first. And we came as far as Coleric, and the old road in Coleric was going way over to the left. That time, it's going straight up now. It failed there. We couldn't take off. And we were there anyway, and he said, we didn't know what to do. We couldn't turn around, we couldn't go nowhere. And the railway lorry came along, Eamon Pasek and his helper, Riley. They came along and they had a tore up, and they towed us out the top, and we made Camorden Quarry. And I went away to England the following year. The crusher was east inside in the quarry, and it never broke a stone after bringing it. But my, my two ankles were red raw after all the walking. The following day, I had no shoes on me. I was crippled the following day after all the walking. The crusher never broke a stone. Yeah. The Field Marshal tractor mentioned by Vinci was a brand of farm tractor which was manufactured by Marshall and Sons and Company of Gainsborough, Lincolnshire in the UK. The first single cylinder Marshall tractor to be introduced was the Marshall 1530 and it was introduced in 1930. To start the Marshall, a smouldering piece of special paper containing saltpetre was inserted into the cylinder head by means of the special screw-in holder in the cylinder head. This smouldering paper acted as a glow plug. The tractors were commonly used to pull agricultural machinery, such as thrashing machines, from side to side. Once in place, the field marshal would be used as the power plant for the thrashing machine. Obviously, being on rocks like the Skelligs, weather forecasts were vital, and this was before the advent of the helicopter when keepers were relieved by boat. Nowadays, you can download various weather apps that will keep you up to date with the weather for days to come. But back then, and on the Skelligs, Vincey says they had a completely different method of forecasting the weather. Also in here is a story about two children who died on the Skelligs from what would be regarded now as a common and easily cured complaint. In fact, a few years later, in July of 1938, Tom Crean, a man who had endured such hardship as an Arctic explorer, died from not getting to hospital in time for a simple and straightforward appendix operation. We were ready to go ashore. Jim Powell, the pub, Reggie Sugaru and John Crowley. They were the three keepers who were on at the time. Myself and John Dini, we were due to go ashore and we came down the road to a fine Sunday evening and Jim Powell said to me, we'll have no relief tomorrow. I said, Jim, how do you make that out? They had a goat there, and they got the goat somewhere in Kerry. They got him a young kid with a book goat, and they called him Pierpoint. It was the last hanging, when they got him, it was the last hanging there was in Ireland, and the hangman was an Englishman, his name was Pierpoint, and they called the goat Pierpoint. So Jim Powell said to me, we'll have no relief tomorrow. Pierpoint is after disappearing. He's gone round the north side of the Skilligs, and he was dead right. It was blowing gale the following day with no boat. The goat would always move. He knew the night before. I don't know how he knew, but he knew. He'd always moved to the other side of the island. And the Skelligs, there's 54 acres in the Skelligs. The Skelligs is a huge area. It's a massive area, the surface area of the Skelligs. There's a mile of a road there, two lighthouses, but there's one of them derelict, and there's seven, over 700 feet high. And there's a well, a spring well, right above at the top. A pure spring well, and it never goes dry. Where the beehives, yeah. We were, myself and Reggie Sugar, a crowd of Yanks came this day, anyone they went up. And they were standing, there was two children buried there, two lightkeepers' sons. One of them was nine, and the other was twelve. They're Callens. They're relations in Dublin yet. And this was the late 1890s, around there. The two kids died of appendix. 
They couldn't get him ashore. They couldn't get him off. And the, the parents buried him. The parents buried the tomb up at the cells. They buried him up at the cells. And they were a slate. The slate quarry in Valencia. They got this big thick slate. And they carved the names. They were Callahan's. They carved lovely carving. And the ink stood on the slate. And it cracked in the middle. They stood on top of taking photographs. It cracked in the middle. And there was a cavity about that much underneath it. And we went up, myself and Reggie Shuro, we brought up a bag of cement and a bag of sand, all 750 steps, all the way from below a Sunday. And we, put it, we, we propped it up underneath, we built up underneath, and we put the slate back again. It cracked clean across the middle, and we put it back, you could read it perfect, it's still there. And I was going to ask you that, how many steps, because I've been up there. And 700 mad. But there's a handrail, I wasn't there since, since the helicopter was built, the helicopter pad, but there's a handrail there now. There was a couple of, couple of people killed there. I think they were Americans. Yeah. But there's a handrail there now. I haven't been there since I didn't. Uh, yeah. I think it's worse to come down than go up. Yeah, it is, yeah. But uh, lots of people go up there and they're not fit like they're, to, they're, they're not fit to go up there like that. And there'll be landslides there. There was a couple of landslides now after heavy rain and the road goes around a circle like that and they've corrugated iron and scaffold tubes in any stone or fall down. It'll bounce off it and go down into the cave and uh, the helicopter pad is over to the right in. That was built out to all clear, but there's a bin going around like that. We were down in another night, and uh, it was an awful gang came from from out from Port McGee. I told you that they came out from Valencia and Ballinasquillix, and they had trawlers and everyone was a big crowd. And Father Bobby Murphy from Bell Island, he was the dean of Kerry at the time. He said mass there, but we never reached the Derek anyone. Reggie said to me, "Be okay till morning." We went down the morning. There was no Derek. The Derek was way up the Clare course, and that was <laughs> yeah. We. We had a concocted story, and as we read it, it was swinging all night in it. The storm took it. Earlier, Vincey spoke about Pat O'Donoghue and his search for drivers in Castletown Bear. Drivers were, of course, scarce back then, because cars were scarce. Pat O'Donoghue, as Vincey mentioned, died suddenly at the very young age of 35. The business that he had built was left in the capable hands of his wife, Katie. Pat O'Donoghue was an enterprising young man with a brilliant brain and amazing foresight. God only knows what he would have achieved if he had lived a full life. After providing a car service in Castletown Bear, Pat saw the need for a bus service which would connect passengers between Castletown Bear to Cork, Bantry and Kinmare. And that bus service is still running. Evelyn O'Donoghue is Pat's daughter-in-law. You had a lot of, of um, immigration that time and the bus went to Cork. The, the service was set out for a route to Cork, Castletown Bear Cork, Castletown Bear Bantry, and later came Kinmare, Wednesdays and Fair Days. And the Fair Days also applied to Bantry. As far as I can remember, Bantry had the Fair Day on a Friday, so there would be double, there would be double service that day. Yeah, would so go out early. You ran a special service for the yes, fair yes, days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Tim would take them to the, take people to the Innisfallen, as it was that time direct them there maybe walk with them did he drive them there I'm not but I doubt if he would the bus would be too big and cumbersome to take to the to the quay that time but he would walk with them and it was a sort of an easing of the pain of, of leaving home that Tim yeah. would, would um, accompany them to the boat now of course that time you also had a conductor and they were in all buses at that time and the whole purpose of the service was that you would connect up with as many other services as possible and that would have been mainly CIE. CIE were coming into, you had the train into Bantry and when the train was discontinued the bus extended its route, that is CIE, 
into Glengariff. Mm-hmm. So Bearhaven service and the CIE service overlapped for that um, distance of 10 miles, I think, or something like that. And um, we, we got on, we got on very well. Our times then, you know, varied occasionally if there was a change of time schedule for CIE, if they went forward or backwards a half an hour, then you would adjust your time to make that connection. That was the general idea. And likewise, you would try and leave Cork, for instance, to try and get the Dublin train, you know, give yourself a half an hour for people to get from the train station to Parnell Place where the stop was. Everyone was remarkable. You can see the lakes and you can see the harbour. And you can, my mother said, you can't live in scenery. Yeah. So we don't take any, we don't even notice it when you're here, when you're here the whole time, yeah. So what's life like for you now? Oh, I'm retired now. I was in the lifeboat. I was being around the lifeboat for, uh, I'm doing bits around the place. I, my nephew has the place now. He's away fishing. He's away, was in the Parkerpine Bank now. He's, he'll be away now for 10 days. He's fishing a boat for nearly a hand. And he'll be away till, he's out three days now. He'll be out another seven. He'll go away with for 10 days, the prawn fishing. He was up north now all the time at Mackerel. They caught their Mackerel coat and they came back. And he left three days ago. And he's, he only rings in that time, but uh, they're away west. Half of the park up I think, is closed. So half of the park up there. The rest is open, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My thanks to Vincey Harrington, or Vincey Gower, for joining me on the programme. Once again, my thanks to Dennis Regan for suggesting that I do so and transporting me forth and back to Gower. And thank you for sharing an hour of your Sunday with me. Until Sunday evening next at 7 on Where the Road Takes Me, from all on the programme and myself, John Green, have a good, safe and enjoyable week.